bless us this morning. You fill us with your love, with your grace, with your mercy. And may we hear you in these words today, Lord. Amen. Amen. Who's booked their summer holiday? Front row. <laughs> you can always tell the ones on the front row, can't you? Do you look forward to your summer holiday? Yes. Do, do you look forward to the journey? No. When I was about six or seven, my family used to go to... We either went... We, we were posh. We either went to Cornwall or we went to Blackpool. That was it. We didn't have a car, so we always went on the train. And my dad, from about six weeks before we would go on holiday, started to make lists. He'd probably been making them a lot longer, but they were made public six weeks before the holiday. And they were lists of things we had to take. Lists of things we had to remember. What time the train was going to run. What platform the train was going to be on. Who was going to carry what bag. Who was going to be in charge of the dog. Because for some reason we took the dog with us, which on a train is absolutely mad. But it, it just became such a fuss about the journey. I was a child. All I wanted to do is go on holiday. I was thinking sand, spade, possibly swimming trunks, depending on how, you know, how I felt about myself. But I was thinking spade, possibly a bucket and a hat. That's all I was bothered about. I was given lists of toys I was allowed to take and not allowed to take, books I should take, you know, all these sorts of things. And it would build up and build up and build up. When I met Andy, I went around her house one day when her family were preparing to go on holiday. It was even worse. Her list, their list were put on the wall. So when you walked through the hall, you would see the list and you think, oh, we haven't got that. And slowly the hall would fill and fill and fill with things to prepare for the journey. I must admit, I reached the stage where I wasn't looking forward to going on holiday because I knew of the fuss that was going to happen. I thought my dad was a nutter. That all changed last year. <laughs> Most of you know Poppy is now 16 months old and for some stupid reason we decided when she was only five months old to go to France for two weeks and all of a sudden I turned into my father I had lists and lists of lists I knew what time we had to arrive at the hotel what time we had to arrive at the port if we were two minutes late I was stressed I could have told you exactly what road we were going to go on from here right through to France and we've got one of those sat nav machines so I didn't really need to know and I suddenly thought actually I am my dad just with a little bit more hair at the moment. But I remembered, I suddenly thought, actually, yeah, the destination is important. It's really, really important where we're going. Because as it was, we ended up in the wrong place. France, for some reason, called two places exactly the same name. We went to the wrong one. It was when we arrived in the middle of a field and it said, you have reached your destination. I thought, it's time to go home. Now, and... I thought the destination is important. This is the holiday. This is it. This is where we're going. But actually, without the journey, we're never going to get there. I knew in the car, if Andy had said, I need, I knew we'd got it. I could tell you exactly where it was. 
and I could get it out of the car in about three and a half hours once I've unpacked it all. But it was all about the journey. In reality today, travel is easy. We've got, we all complain about the roads in England. But I'm sure if you talk to Sam, he'll tell you how dreadful the roads are where he is and how brilliant the roads are where we are. We can get to places quickly. We've got cars and planes and it just happens. We've got computers to tell us how to get there. We don't worry about the journey really as much now. We're all about the destination and getting there as quickly as possible. And I wondered, when I started to read these, these verses, I wondered, is, that sort of, is it like that for us as Christians? Are we focused entirely on just heaven? We've prayed to Jesus to enter, ask him into our lives. We've been forgiven and we know the destination. Are we forgetting about the journey? Do we not get excited about our journey? About the journey as a church, as a journey as individuals? And I think the passage we, we heard in Matthew can help us with that. I think it's easy at this time of the year. To, it was interesting, John's just given us a list of things that are happening next week. I can't remember half of them already, but I know it's in signpost and I promise I'll read it. I am the one. <laughs> but we've got all these things that happen between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. Have we forgotten the journey? We start when Jesus arrives and we finish on the resurrection. But have we forgotten the journey he was taking? It was significant. We have meditations, we have services in Holy Week, but do we need to prepare now? Should, we, should have we been preparing? Some of you may have been. Should we be preparing for the last couple of weeks, getting ready for the journey? So that when we get here, when we enter the gates of Jerusalem, we're ready for what's going to happen. It was interesting reading the verses. I suddenly recognised my dad in Jesus. He'd be amazed if I said that to him. But I saw Jesus in my dad and my dad in Jesus. He sat his companions down, his travelling companions, and he told them what was going to happen before it happened. He says, this is what you should expect. This is just before the reading we had earlier. He says, now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... He took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will turn him, turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will raise to life. So like my dad sat me down and said, This is what's going to happen on the journey. Jesus sat his disciples down and said, Get ready guys, because this is what's going to happen. He'd planned the route. He's working his way towards Jerusalem. He's not coming on one of the back roads. We, we can see if we look into, the, into where he was going, he was travelling on a military highway. This is the big road into Jerusalem. There, they think there are around two million people in Jerusalem ready for the Passover, all travelling. That road was going to be busy. And slowly, as Jesus has been travelling, he's... he's performed miracles, he's told stories, he's engaged with the crowd. And you know the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Jesus knows this is the big journey. This is the one where he needs to make an impact. This is the one where he wants people to see what he's doing and hear what he's doing. So slowly and slowly the crowd gathers pace. They get more people with him. 
and he stops. He stops at a point. They think just the other side of the Mount of Olives. And they make a decision. Okay, this is the way we're going. This is what's going to happen. And it wouldn't be long before they moved over and they were 300 feet above the temple leading down into Jerusalem. So they, as a crowd, would be seen. People would start to talk and say, who are they? What's happening? What's going on? Jesus planned the route. And he chose the right transport. He knew the reaction of arriving on a donkey. He knew what people would think, what people would say. Remember, it said in, in, in 21 verses 2 and 3, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. He knew what he was doing. It wasn't, he wasn't walking along thinking, oh, I'm a bit tired now. Oh, there's a donkey. He was doing it for a reason. He was doing it because that's what the prophet had said. In case you don't know who the prophet was, Zechariah was a prophet to the Jewish exiles about 550 years before Matthew's Gospel, before the, the things we're hearing about today. Zechariah was a prophet. It's one of those books in the Bible I personally don't turn to unless it's a reading or I'm told to turn to it. Do you know what I mean? There's some books that you just don't... Auto- if you want to be encouraged, you turn to the Psalms or Romans or something like that. You don't automatically look... Where Zac- I must admit I had to look at the front and find out what page it was on. But it's an amazing book. If you read it, you will be so encouraged. Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation gentle and riding on a donkey that's what Matthew said Matthew was telling us look guys this is what the prophet said this is what Jesus is doing he is proving what the prophet said he is saying he's the one he was preparing people for the destination but he was using the journey throughout Jesus' life he always pointed back to what the prophets had said to prove who he was to the ones that were saying, not sure. But lots of people, unlike me, would have known Zechariah's prophecy. When they saw him arrive on a donkey, they'd have gone, hang on a minute, what's this guy saying? He's saying, and it would have all followed through. He was claiming he was the coming king, the representative of the Lord. He would win victory over his enemies. And only a few of those enemies would be saved. He was saying that it was through faith, not through blood, that you would be saved. Galatians 3.8 The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. It wasn't who you were, it's who you knew. The battle would be won forever. Revelation 21.3 and 4 Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. When I was, I spent a bit of time on the internet looking at the verses around what we heard today. And it was interesting, one of the guys on there said, 
This Jesus is actually, this is an acted parable, uh, a parable. Jesus used to sit down and tell stories to a lot of people. He would tell parables to get people to know him better and to know the kingdom of heaven better. But the guy that I read about said, actually, if you think about it, this is an acted parable. This is Jesus saying, actually, I don't just want three or four people or 30 or 40 people here. I want everybody that sees me to realise this is the biggie. This is the one I want you to recognise and remember and tell others about. It was an acted parable. So why a donkey? When you think about it, I like donkeys, they're very nice, but in reality they're the reliant robin of the animal kingdom, aren't they? Then, you know, they're not the sports car, are they, really? And you'd, you know, if you think, if you, if you were getting an animal for Jesus, would you have given him a donkey? But when you look at why, it was because a king who was out for war, a king who thought he was great, a king who thought he could win all the battles, he was the one that went on the big strong horse. But a king that came in peace, one that was full of mercy, rode a donkey. So Jesus knew riding a donkey would say something to the people. How did they react? 2 Kings 9.13 sees that somebody has just been anointed king over Israel. It says, they hurried and took off their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. That's what they were doing to Jesus. They recognised him as king. They were throwing their cloaks underneath him as a ceremonial carpet. Probably the original red carpet. We do it when we see the Queen. Or when we see people we think are important. We just put out the red carpet. And that's what they were doing. They said, this guy is important. He needs to be on a ceremonial carpet. They threw palm branches and waved them in the air. Shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because they realised he'd come in victory. They were celebrating that he'd got this far. They knew how important it was. Jesus made the entrance he wanted. We see in verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He'd done what he'd set out to do. He'd got people talking. It's amazingly brave. Because he was going into almost the lion's den. He knew there were people in Jerusalem that wanted him dead. But he went, not with a whimper, but with a shout. He was determined to, that people should know. It's quite difficult to think about what that must have been like. To be in the crowd. To be, as John said, you know, would you be in the front Finding out what happened, would you be at the side thinking, ooh, this is a bit weird? But it's, unless you were there, it's hard to imagine. The closest I could think of was an occasion that I was in. And it's, 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 for me, it's the closest thing I can imagine to what they were going through. Can anybody remember 16th of May, 1987? <laughs> Cup final. Cup final. The only thing Coventry City can be proud of. Coventry City Football Club can be proud of. We won the FA Cup. I don't support Coventry, but I watched it. I was excited. I didn't mind when at two o'clock in the morning people were driving around their, in their cars, bibbing their horns and screaming out the windows. It was almost like we'd won a war. And all we'd done was won a cup. 
Did anybody go into Coventry when they came back? Thankfully, some more people are sad as me. I can remember standing there outside Allied Carpets, completely, I couldn't move. I was surrounded by people. I was probably about ten back from the pavement, waiting. And everybody was, oh, do you think they'll be here soon? Oh, I've just heard on the radio, they're just by the council house. Oh, and then as they came around the corner in their open-top bus, the roar, people were throwing scarves, they got banners. They'd... To me, that is the closest I've experienced to what the crowd must be excited about seeing Jesus. People were totally over the top. It's interesting, Omdi's now gone out of the room with Poppy, because I believe Omdi was one of the people that dyed her hair blue. <laughs> Omdi doesn't even like football. But it's, we all got caught up in the moment. And that's what Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted everybody to be caught up in the moment. If that's how we feel about 12 footballers, 13 footballers, 14 footballers, how should we feel about what Jesus has done for us? We should be so excited. But what does it mean for us today? I think we need to be careful we don't forget the journey. Is each week I come to church with anticipation of what the service is going to be like, what the worship's going to be like, what the sermon's going to be like. Do you know the one thing I always think is going to be absolutely brilliant is what my faith means to me today. I have not left not being inspired by what somebody has said. Jeff, thanks for this morning. I felt inspired. I feel like I know people that have done that better than I ever could have known them because they have just opened their heart here. That's part of Jeff's journey. We need to be encouraging him in that. We all need to be encouraging each other and hearing our journeys, talking about them. I still don't understand, and if you know, please don't come and tell me because I don't really care. I still do not understand why Easter is on a different day every year. I looked it up on the internet and there is a, an equation as to how you can work out when Easter will be in 10 years' time, 20 years' time. I didn't even understand the equation. I think it's got something to do with Tesco's and how many Easter eggs they've got left. But I don't know why we move Easter. And I think that's some of how we can miss it. A few years ago, I used to, I used to run the Christian bookshop in town before it became all posh and Richard took over. And something was happening in that arcade. At the other end of the arcade, they'd just built something. And we heard a few weeks before, we're having a visit from a member of the royal family. We got all excited thinking it was going to be the Queen. Not dissing Princess Anne, but she's a little bit further down the line, isn't she, really? Princess Anne arrived, we all knew, and it was a bit like the football thing. We're, as, as she was coming down the arcade, we were, oh, Princess, she's going to come in. She's going to come in. Then a customer came in, and I saw the back of Princess Anne's head. It passed me by. I missed it. And that's what we've got to be careful with our journey, with our walk with God, is that we don't miss it. That we don't just get to the destination and go, here! We need to inspire others, and others need to inspire us. Does anybody know Neville Cartmail? Neville Cartmail was the, the boss of Coventry City Mission. He was fighting a horrible brain tumour 
Neville died last week. I've known Neville for about 15 years. And I don't know of a more inspirational guy. A totally normal guy. But a guy, if, you'd not, if you didn't know he was fighting a brain tumour, you might have thought he'd got a cold. Because he didn't complain. He praised God. A guy that when they were struggling at Conference City Mission didn't complain. He praised God. He was inspirational. Bridget, who died the other year, crippled with arthritis and terrible illnesses. Then what do we hear? She flew gliders because she felt free. We should be so inspired by that. And we should be telling others. I know where their destination is this morning. I know their partying. But their journey is so important. So what am I trying to say? I'm nearly finished. Over the last few weeks and months, we've all individually and collectively saying, have we lost our passion? Have we lost the edge? I don't know. But when I look at people like Neville and Bridget, for all the difficulties they went through, I saw passion. I saw commitment. They weren't sitting in heaven's waiting room. Are we? Or are we still on the journey? When I look at Jesus and the way he rode into Jerusalem, knowing that the terrible things that were coming ahead, I'm inspired. I want to be more like him. Scary, because he was so brave, but I want to be more like him. A couple of weeks ago, I went and spoke to the fire starters. Um, and we were talking about evangelism and sharing our faith. And we talked about how to share your testimony, how to, to share your journey with others. And we spent a bit of time on it. And at the end, one of the young guys came up to me and went, that was really good. I didn't know I had a story to tell. And so we just did that. Do you know you've got a story to tell? Because you have. Psalm 118 we heard earlier. Open the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. The righteous. Those who are right with God. That's us. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he didn't go on his own. He was taking us with him. My thought today is, if you're not right with God, if you don't feel a righteous son or daughter of Christ, today's the day to do something about it. Then you can enjoy the week to come. The trials and tribulations of Holy Week. And then you can stand here next Sunday and praise God as a son and daughter of Christ. Amen.